Let's open our Bibles this morning, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You'll stand with me if you're able, and I'll read the word of God. Heavenly Father, descend upon us today. Provide for us understanding, that our eyes and our hearts might be open, that we would hear and see what it is that you call us to do because of what your word says. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 11 through 21. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest to God, and I hope that we are made manifest also in your consciences. We are not again commending ourselves to you, but are giving you an occasion to be proud of us, that you may have an answer for those who take pride in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, that they who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no man according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. Yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away, and behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were entreating through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away, the new things have come. It's almost like you take off your old clothes go out, and, and my back's better, so I'm back to digging, okay? Uh, now, Jeff from McKinney, where is he? He was here for Sunday school. He walked in today. You know, Jeff was baptized the other day, Jeff, little Jeff McKinney, and he said, how's your back? You going to carry me around today? And I said, well, sure, I'm feeling better. I'll carry you around. I won't baptize you again, but we'll carry you around. Well, you know, you go out, and, and you work in the sun, and you, you come back, and, and, you know, I know southern ladies don't sweat, they glisten or whatever, but men sweat, okay? And, and you get all sweaty and stinky, and uh, you walk in the house, and if you've got a bunch of girls, they all go, ooh, like that, and, and, and you go up and you take those clothes off, and you go in the shower, and you're cleansed, and, and you come out, and it's like the new man has come. The old is gone, and that's, that's what the words literally mean there. You take off the old, and the new is put on. Okay, and that's what happens when you become a new creature in Christ. The old is gone, 
the new is here. Who is that person? Well, they're a new creature in Christ. Their heart has been made completely new. Now, it's not as if we are without sin. Of course, we have sin. It remains with us, but it does not rule within our lives. Okay? There's enough sin in our hearts, even after we become a new creation, to cause problems. Okay? But not to rule our lives. Christ now rules our lives. Now, I just give that as an introduction because most of the passage, well, in fact, the the portion that we're going to deal with today is really 18 through the end. But to get to 18, you have to be a new creation. Christ has to come, cleanse you of your sin, and place within you a new heart, a heart that is freed from the chains of sin, a heart that is devoted to the things of our Heavenly Father. Now, throughout I guess, uh, history, and throughout uh, my lifetime, certainly, there have been people from the opposite sides of the spectrum on issues in almost every country that we see. And I did some history today, or I did some some, uh, research this week, and I found that there have been councils or commissions for reconciliation in, oh, I just lost track of the number of countries that they have been in, South Africa, Libya, uh, Chile, um, Liberia, India, even Wilmington, North Carolina had a commission for reconciliation. They had race rights there many, many years ago, but they had this commission. And all they're trying to do is bring people together so people will make peace. I think in my lifetime, every president uh, has thrown himself on the... uh, uh, against the wall of trying to find peace in the Middle East. Okay, it becomes a platform. Everybody comes and has a new idea on how to do it. Uh, let's have the United Nations run things. Let's have uh, people give up land. Let's have cultural exchanges. All these things in an effort to make peace in a land where there has been no peace for 3,500 years. Since the two half-brothers were born, Ishmael and Isaac, there has been no peace in that area. Men and women still hurt themselves and hurt, hurt one another and kill one another in the name of ethnicity, economics, politics, geography, on and on and on. Not just in that place, but in places around the world. As I said in Sunday school this morning, the doctrine of the sinfulness of man is the easiest one to prove. Okay? All you have to do is read the newspaper. All you have to do is turn on the news. You see the doctrine of the sinfulness of man played out again and again and again. Yes, some good things happen, but why is it that we haven't learned to be nice to one another? Why is it that we haven't learned to live in peace? Because there will be no peace until we all are new creations in Christ. Now, I have a plan for peace in the Middle East, and I have a plan for peace in North and South Korea, and I have a plan for peace on the continent continent of Africa. And you'll be shocked, I'm shocked if you haven't figured it out, that it is this passage that is my plan for peace. And you think, oh, Rand, you're kind of simplistic, aren't you? I mean, there are geopolitical issues at hand here. There are issues of culture and all these things that go on in the, in the world. And, and all you're saying is if hearts are changed by Christ, there will be peace? Well... That's what the word says. Now, it won't be perfect until Christ returns, but there is no hope for peace in the world outside of Christ. Now, there is the absence of war. That is one type of peace. But we're talking about a peace that is much deeper, a peace that passes all understanding, and a peace that 
commissions cannot come up with peace, that politics cannot make peace, that armies cannot enforce. It's a peace that starts here and goes out from there and can't be brought in willy-nilly upon everybody but starts as an individual heart and moves out from there. It's the power to make a heart go from dead to alive. The power to make an individual go from an enemy of God to a child of God. The power to free an individual from the chains of sin that bind them and that hold them so tightly that they can't let go. That they can't see anything else than sinfulness. It is that power that opens their eyes to the things of Christ. And this change only comes through the presentation of the gospel of Christ. Only through the gospel of Christ. Now, five times between verses 18 and 21 do we find some form of the word reconciliation. Some form of the word reconciliation. It defines the verses. It defines the passage. It defines the ministry that those who are in Christ have been given. Reconciliation. It's our duty to tell people that they can be reconciled to God. Our mission, our purpose is to proclaim the truth that you who are alienated from God can be reconciled to God. That relationship that's been marked by sin can be healed and totally changed. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's possible for sinners to be reconciled with the one whom they have offended, and that is God. Now, the message is salvation. It's a message of the cross. It's a message of life. It's a message that is in opposition to all the myths about peace and how peace can be brought into the world and love and hope and all of those things. It is the truth about salvation, the truth about the life of God, life with God. And that was the heart of Paul's preaching back in 1 Corinthians. It says, for Christ didn't send me to baptize but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech. Now, Paul was never, now Paul was very bright. But he never claimed to be one of those guys who traveled around and used fancy language and um, rhetorical tricks to convince people. He preached what? Christ and him crucified. That was it. What else is needed? Because this word is the power of God unto salvation. Power of God unto salvation. Paul was committed to the straightforward, direct proclamation of the word of reconciliation. He says, I didn't come with superiority of speech. I didn't come with any tricks. I came with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul uses this term and, and, and how he represents Christ. And we're going to jump to the end of the passage, and then we'll come back and, and pick up the beginning in verse 18. So therefore, verse 20, so go verse 20, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. Now you'll be glad to know that the word ambassadors is a form of the word that we use for Presbyterian. Okay? So it appears that every Christian is at heart a Presbyterian. Okay? That's bad theology, I'm sorry. But the, the word is presbusos. And that's what we get the word ambassador from. We also get the word elder from that. Uh, so, uh, and, and that carries with it in this context and, and in this culture uh, an idea. Ambassadors were typically those who were older. Typically those who were more experienced. Okay? Now I know in our culture uh, ambassadorships um, sometimes are given 
as political patronage. You know, you can you were a good donor, so you can go and be the ambassador to I don't know Bahamas. That's uh, you had to give a lot of money to be the ambassador to Bahamas, okay? Because you get to go and you live in those places, like okay? But for the real important countries, whichever those would be, you have the professionals, quote unquote, those people who actually know what they are doing. But you understand that an ambassador goes and he lives in a foreign country. An ambassador goes and speaks a foreign language. An ambassador goes and he gets enmeshed in a culture that is not his own, a culture that is foreign to him. Now, an ambassador also does not speak his own words. An ambassador represents the king that sent him. An ambassador speaks the words of the king. He speaks with the power of the king. To kick an ambassador out of your country is the same thing as kicking the king out of your country. Okay, so if the ambassador for, um, we'll stick with the Bahamas, uh, I seem to be fixated on the Bahamas. Uh, if, you, you do, if the ambassador of the Bahamas comes and he doesn't speak for, for the Bahamas are what? British? Oh, okay. Doesn't speak for the queen. Okay? Or the prime minister. But, you know, if he says something on his own, he is no longer an ambassador. He's doing his own thing. If the ambassador comes here and we get cranky with him and we kick him out, it's the same thing as kicking the queen out of this country. Okay? I know we did that 250 years ago, but but you get the idea of what I'm talking about. An ambassador spends his life speaking somebody else's words in a foreign land. Hmm. Any correlation there to anybody in this room? The Christian. And Paul says it. We are ambassadors for Christ. We spend our lives in a foreign land. In a land where we do not speak the language. And we are talking about the language of priorities. And the language of the heart that the world does. The world wants something different than what the Christian wants. Okay? We spend our lives in this land. We spend our lives in a land that does not speak the same language that we speak, does not have the same priorities. And when we speak, we do not speak our own words. We speak the words of our King, of Christ, and of our Heavenly Father. You know, sometimes you'll make a statement, and and people go, I don't believe that. You're wrong with that. You're wrong with that. And you say what? Don't argue with me. Argue with my King. Because I only speak His words. I'm not making this up. This is what the King says is true. We are an ambassador for our Heavenly Father. We are an ambassador for our King, Jesus Christ. There is only one King. There is only one means of salvation. There is only one message of hope. And we, as ambassadors for Christ, are charged to bring that message. And that is the only message that brings peace. There are a lot of religions out there who claim to be able to do this and do that. But we understand that they are man-made. We understand that they are all based upon what it takes to get right with God. But Christianity says, you know, the Lord says, I come and I do these things in your heart. You are reconciled to me and I make that possible. Let's look at what he says in verse 18. Now, all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. Okay? There's, it's all the theology you need to know. That's the Christian theology. That's biblical theology. That's Reformed theology. It's all right there. All things are from God, 
And God has reconciled us to himself through Christ. God has done the work, and it is accomplished through the efforts of Christ. Okay? This is what happens. Romans chapter 5, verse 10. If while we were sinners, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exalt in God, though our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Okay? It is through Christ that the Lord does this. He does it all. And he chooses to do it through Christ. It doesn't say we earned reconciliation. It says we have received reconciliation. We have received it. It's not what man does. It's what he receives. It's not what we accomplish. It is what we are given. Reconciliation is something that God accomplishes when he decides to stop rejecting me. Now, why would God reject me? I'm a good guy, aren't I? Except for that thing called sin in my life that has separated me from the Heavenly Father. When God, in his perfect time, decides to stop rejecting Randy and call me unto himself, draw me unto himself, that is when reconciliation is accomplished. That's when all that sin that I have added up in my life, that sin that offends God to such a degree, he wipes out. He forgives as far as the east is from the west. He does the work. You say, well, I've rejected God all my life. No, not really. You were his enemy until he opened your eyes and you were able to receive him as Lord and Savior. He called you. He reconciled with you, even though you offended him. That would be like, oh, on a small scale, um, I'll pick on myself. I hate to pick on somebody else at this thing. In an illustration like this, I go up and I slap my wife. Okay? There would be no cause for that. Okay? But I slap my wife. I'm the one that has offended her. She turns around and makes it possible to be reconciled once again, even though I'm the one that has offended her. She does all the work. She approaches me. She seeks to bring me back in fellowship with her. That's what the Lord does. We have offended him by our sin. He sends his son. He does the work. He reconciles us to himself. What, what do we do to deserve this? Nothing. Nothing at all. Nothing at all. So Paul says we are to preach this message of reconciliation because he has given us this ministry for those who are the ambassadors for Christ, for those who have been reconciled to God, we are given this ministry. We don't sit there in our little lazy boy chair and say, you know what, I've been reconciled with God. How about you? Oh, too bad for you. No. He said, get out and do that ministry. Why? Because there will be no peace until every heart has been changed. There's no chance for real peace in the world. And you think, oh, ran. Peace in the world, that's a pretty big topic for today. I'm just trying to get through this week. Okay? Well, let me tell you, there'll be no peace in your life. There'll be no peace in your home. There'll be no peace in Madison County until every heart has been touched by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's the power. That's the plan for peace. Change the heart here. 
changed the heart of your neighbor by presenting the gospel to them. Perhaps for some, it's changed the heart of your spouse. Go home and live and speak the words of Christ, the gospel, the things of Christ, which is the power of God unto salvation. Change that heart, then there's peace. It's not perfect, but then there's peace. How is this possible to be reconciled to God? How is it possible that the message we preach has any power at all? Verse 21, look at that. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Christ knew no sin. We knew no righteousness. Christ had all the righteousness. He poured it into our lives, imputed it into our lives. We had no sin. He bore all of our sin on the cross. See, there was that exchange there. Fancy word is imputation. He imputes the righteousness into us because we had none of our own. He does the work. He saves those who belong to him. There'll be no peace in this world, no peace in our families, no peace in our neighborhoods until hearts are changed by the things of Christ. We're ambassadors. We live in a foreign land. We've been given a task, and that is to preach the words of our king who has sent us. To live in a foreign land that does not understand us, that does not particularly even like us sometimes. But we are to demonstrate the things of Christ here in this world. I've been thinking the last couple weeks. You ever get in a, in a rut and you're just trying to get through into the next day? And all of a sudden you look back and two or three weeks or maybe two or three months have gone by. And you think, what did I actually do of significance in those three months? And sometimes just getting through is significant. We have to ask ourselves as believers, what are the things of significance for Christ that I have done? Am I just worrying about making it through the day? Or do I have an attitude that I want to leave this day having done something significant for Christ? Now, significant for Christ might be as simple as demonstrating kindness and compassion. Being extremely patient when otherwise other people would not be patient. We have been given such a gift that we cannot live insignificant lives with this. Ambassadors are not insignificant people. Because we don't speak our own words. We speak the words of and with the authority of the King who has sent us. Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Heavenly Father. And he doesn't send us out without the ability and the power and the protection to do what he calls us to do. So I'm going to encourage you this week. What, how will you be significant as an ambassador for Christ this week? What area of your life will you look at and say, you know what, I don't want to just make it through the day. I want to be able to walk at the end of the day. I want to be able to look back and say, there, those were the times where Christ was clearly demonstrated in what I said, clearly demonstrated in what I did. I went beyond what I would normally do just hoping to get through, and I did the things that Christ really wanted me to do. It might not be easy. In fact, from the reading, we might be persecuted for it. But we live lives of Christian significance because we are ambassadors for Christ. 
speaking his words and his power. Let's pray. Lord, the world cries for peace and there will be no peace. No real peace until every heart is changed. Until the things of Christ are so evident in this world that they're The priorities are completely changed. Lord, you have come and touched our lives. For those who have received Christ as our Lord and Savior, our hearts have been made new. The old is gone. The new is here. It has been taken off. It's been tossed away. We have been cleansed in the blood of Christ. And now we are called to be ambassadors. Speak not our own words, but speak yours. Walk forward not with our own power, but with yours. And walk forward into a land that is not our home. But we are to live here. And to dwell here. And to live boldly for Christ in a foreign land. It's not our own work. It's not even our own power. But it comes from you. Lord, you do not call us simply to be passive in this world. You do not call us to sit back. And watch things go by and say, you know, God will handle it in the end. You have said the gates of hell cannot prevail. That is the march of the gospel. The gates of hell cannot prevail against the forward movement of the gospel. You have given us one offensive weapon in the armor of God, and it is the word of God, the sword of the spirit, the word of God. And it is powerful, more powerful than anything else. To the world, Lord, this sounds like foolishness. But for those of us whose eyes have been opened, it is the power of God. Mark our hearts today, Lord. Fix in our minds where it is we will be and how it is we will live as ambassadors for Christ this week whether it starts in our own families, our own neighborhoods, perhaps our own hearts. Will we walk in faith? Will we live according to the things you have laid out as ambassadors for Christ? Or will we pitch those away and live and become part of this foreign land? Lord, we desire as believers to live for Christ, as ambassadors for him. Open our eyes to how and where we might do that this week, that we might give you glory and honor and praise. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our hymn is 439, Sweet Hour of Prayer. Please stand as we all sing 439.